promise, Lord, never again. But I also know that you know what a weak willed person I am. I'm a wonderful person. Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, then were we like those who dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. And they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad indeed. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the watercourses of the Negev. Those who sowed with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying the seed, will come again with joy, shouldering their sheaves. Amen. Ezekiel 21, beginning at the first verse. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, set your face toward Jerusalem and preach against the sanctuaries. Prophesy against the land of Israel. And say to the land of Israel, thus says the Lord, Behold, I am against you and will draw my sword from its sheath and will cut off from you both righteous and wicked. Because I will cut off from you both righteous and wicked, therefore my sword shall be drawn from its sheath against all flesh from south to north, and all flesh shall know that I am the Lord. I have drawn my sword from its sheath, it shall not be sheathed again. As for you, son of man, groan with breaking heart and bitter grief, groan before their eyes. And when they say to you, why do you groan? You shall say, because of the news that it is coming. Every heart will melt, and all hands will be feeble, every spirit will faint, and all knees will be weak as water. Behold, it is coming, and it will be fulfilled, declares the Lord God. And the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord, say, A sword, a sword is sharpened and also polished, sharpened for slaughter, polished to flash like lightning. Or shall we rejoice? You have despised the rod my son, with everything of wood. So the sword is given to be polished, that it may be grasped in the hand. It is sharpened and polished to be given into the hand of the slayer. Cry out and wail, son of man, for it is against my people. It is against all the princes of Israel. They are delivered over to the sword with my people. Strike therefore upon your thigh, for it will be a testing. It will not be a testing. What could it do if you despise the rod, declares Lord God? As for you, son of man, prophesy, clap your hands and let the sword come down twice, yes, three times, the sword for those to be slain. It is the sword for the great slaughter which surrounds them, that their hearts may melt and many stumble. At all their gates I have given the glittering sword, ah, it is made like lightning, it is taken up for slaughter. Cut sharply to the right, set yourself to the left, wherever your face is directed, I also will clap my hands and I will satisfy my fury, I, the Lord." Have spoken. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this is this is the the continuation of this this warning, right? This is the interesting thing with Ezekiel, and I'm sure some of you are probably getting a little bored with this because he tends to repeat himself. But pastors are repetitive. We are. 
we will we will talk about the same things every single Sunday because number one, we consider them important, but number two, because we know the human condition that we are forgetful, and and so we continue to tell these things. Well, with Ezekiel, the problem is is that the elders keep coming to him and wanting to hear a different tune. They want to hear a different song, but he keeps singing the same old song over and over and over again. And they're they're expecting uh, the newest pop hit, and he's singing the blues. And so this opening section, verses 1 through 5, are actually a continuation of what we had at the end of last week. And and as I I said last week, with a lot of scripture, there's a different way to interpret things depending on how you look at them. But if if we look at verses 45 through 49 at the end of chapter 20 again, where he talks about um, setting his face toward the south land, preach against the south, and prophesy against the forest land and the Negev, Say to the forest of the Negev, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will kindle a fire in you, and it shall devour green tree in you and every dry tree. The blazing flame shall not be quenched, and all faces from south to north shall be scorched by it. All flesh shall see that I, the Lord, have kindled it, it shall not be quenched. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, they're saying of me, He is not, is He not a maker of parables? The opening section of chapter 21 kind of is is a commentary on this section dealing with the trees, the forest, all these things. Uh, I, I still like to read it as, as sort of this uh, uh, two different ways to interpret it, right? The first way is how we talked about it last week in the sense of God coming and purging from Israel the things that are causing them to stumble, right? God coming to Israel and destroying uh, every tree (laughs) because they've been going to every tree and setting up their idols and praying and all of those things. Well, then if we read it in in light of this opening section of 21, what we discover is that Jerusalem is the south. When he talks about toward the southland, preach to the south. And when he talks about the forest land in the Negev, uh, one of the commentators talked about it as uh, as the temple complex, the place where God has placed his name, the, this place where, where God is, is residing with the people. And then uh, when he talks about uh, the land of Israel, uh, he, he's talking about that forest. And when he talks about the green and, and the dry tree, there he's talking about the righteous and the wicked. That's a difficult verse, isn't it? Verse 3, especially when we read it in light of what we've already seen, where, where earlier God says uh, that, that uh, the righteousness of a formerly righteous person is not going to save them, save them if they do wickedness. And the wickedness of a formerly wicked person who does righteousness is not going to condemn them, right? And that he does not uh, desire the death of the wicked. That that God is not seeking these things as well as uh, if, if you do what is right, you shall live, God says. And it seems to contradict what Ezekiel has been saying this whole time. But it also calls into question what righteousness really, really means. Because we can read this text and we can go, oh, okay. Okay, yeah. Uh, you know, why do bad things happen to good people is the big question we always ask. Uh, wh- what is it then that, that God is going to reward? What is it that he's going to punish? Is he, if he's just going to punish and judge the righteous and the wicked and condemn them both, and they're both going to be killed by the sword, what's the, what's the point? And part of it is the, the danger, I think, that he's 
alluding to of the wickedness of Israel. The wickedness of Israel at this time is bringing down the righteous. The the wickedness of the entire culture is bringing the righteous down. But then also there's that that question of, and and one of the commentators said that uh, the righteous that is spoken of here, this green tree that is spoken of, uh, is sort of the, the righteous person that is righteous on the outside. The Pharisee, for instance. Uh, the the uh, oftentimes we we the, the church person I hate to say it the, the person who thinks well I go to church I read my Bible every day I pray I serve I work at VBS we're having our family oriented VBS right now um, uh, when when I'm recording this by the time you hear this it'll be it will be all finished but uh, you know we we start to do certain things because we think somehow we might be able to merit some stuff. But then we also think, well, this is what Christians are supposed to do. So we need to look a certain way. We need to put on the mask. We need to be the hypocrite because that's what a hypocrite is, right? Someone who wears a mask. And so the question is, are they really righteous people? But then also, um, I, I think of the the discussion that, that Abraham has with God when he's going to destroy Sodom. And he starts to negotiate with him and says, well, you're not going to destroy the righteous with the wicked, are you? What if there's 40 righteous people in in Sodom? Will you you still destroy the town? And God says, no, I won't destroy the town if you can find me 40 righteous. And he he whittles it down to 10, right? And God says, no, I won't destroy it even for 10 righteous people. I'm surprised that, that Abraham didn't get to him. Well, what if there's one, right? And so it calls into question what righteousness really is. And that if righteousness is something that any of us as human beings can ever have on our own, or if righteousness is something that is given to us. And that's, that's where we stand as Lutherans. As a Lutheran pastor, we talk about the great exchange, the, the happy exchange, the frolic of Vexel, in which God uh, in Jesus takes from us all our sin, all our frailty, all our unrighteousness, and he bestows upon us his righteousness. This notion of we are walking around in dirty, filthy rags, and Jesus comes and trades his beautiful wedding garment for us. And so here, though, God is bringing this judgment upon Israel that even the most righteous of all people there in Jerusalem cannot save them from what is to come because it is not a great thing that there happens to be a few righteous people. It's an issue of the entire culture, the entirety of it, the, the communal nature of it that is bringing down Jerusalem. And it just so happens that there's righteous people there. Or, or what is termed here as righteous people. And that should break our hearts. It shouldn't make us mad at God because God is the one who, uh, who holds our very breath in the palm of his hands, right? That's what Daniel tells us. He's the one who knit us together in our mother's womb. He, he's the one who created us. He's the one who holds all things together. He, he, is, he is Lord. He is Lord. And so if God wishes to give me cancer and take my life early or 
I, if I am to die in a car accident tomorrow, I would hate it. I would be missing out on so much of my family's life. I, I would, um, you know, it, it wouldn't exactly be my choice of what I would want to have happen. But my life is not my own. I belong to another. My hands are in the hands of the, the, the potter. I'm just the clay. So are you. And so it is that if God wants to take us and make us and mold us into something else or to shatter us, it is up to him. And it's here, though, that he's talking about this work. This, and he's been ta- Ezekiel's been talking about this for these last 21 chapters. Of There's this work of purging. There's this, this, it's, it's Jesus with his winnowing fork in his hand to get rid of the chaff. He's going to uh, do this work to bring about this new covenant, to purge these idols from them that they might worship him alone, that they might be only his people and not be sharing themselves with somebody else, not whoring after these other gods. And so then it, it is supposed to be this, this issue of us trying to, to wrap our minds around the, the reality of discipline, the reality that that true love that a parent has for a child does not let that child do whatever they want. That's, that's not love. That might be, you know, getting really good at being the best friend of that child, but it's not love. Love, or the, love is those times in which a child comes to you, for instance, and says, yeah, dad, mom, I'm planning on doing such and such with my life. And you just say, okay, good, great, see you later. Uh, a true parent should sit there and go, okay, tell me more about this. What's the plan? What are you going to be looking at? Because if, if they don't, maybe they haven't asked some questions that they need to ask. Maybe they haven't thought of some things that they need to be thinking about. To, and maybe through those discussions, it comes down to, no, you're not going to do that plan. Or maybe as a parent, you, um, you sit there and you have to have discussions with a child, an intervention to try and break them of an addiction or some other uh, horrible situation in their life. You have to break them of that to, to help them save their lives. Or, or maybe uh, you have to help them make a decision because they're going to be putting themselves in some sort of financial debt and it's taking them away from something such as college because they're going to take out way too many student loans and ruin their credit score and their life uh, later on. And you have to say, okay, no, we're, we're taking you out of this for right now and we're going to help you uh, get things going here before you move ahead. Or maybe you come to them and say, you're hanging out with the wrong people. Or maybe they do something as a child that they should not have done, and you have to punish. You have to bring judgment because you have to teach them, we don't do that. Human beings don't do that to one another, whatever it is that they've done. Or specifically, even more specifically, yeah, in a way, Christians don't do that, right? This notion of discipline. This idea that God is going to do these things. And so then uh, God makes the point here down through the remainder of our reading that we had uh, of calling to certainty the things that he's going to be doing, of, of, of bringing this purging to both the, the righteous and the wicked, but to both the green tree and the dry tree. 
And so he, he tells him to groan and to mourn because it's, it's not as though God is up, you know, up in heaven, clapping his hands together and going, all right, let's get going. This is going to be awesome. That, that it's grieving him that he's needing to do this. That, that he is Jesus crying out to Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you as a mother hen gathers her chicks under your wings and you are not willing. The, the, this, this broken heart of God to, to having to do this. And, and uh, he says, you know, when they ask you, why are you groaning? You just say, well, because it's coming. The time is drawing near. And then he he does a bit of poetry to say the sword, a sword is sharpened and also polished, meaning it's ready to go. The battle is starting. It's not covered in blood. It's not just been sitting in a corner catching cobwebs. God is ready to go and it's going to come. He talks about you have despised the rod, my son, meaning you've despised the discipline that I've tried to bring about to to help your life uh, be on track and to bring you back to me. He, he says to cry out and wail, son of man, in verse 12. He says this is going to be against all the princes of Israel, meaning that this isn't just for the common people alone. This is for, for everybody. He says in verse 13 that this is not going to be a test any longer. This is going to be a, a solution that I'm bringing to fix these things. And then there's permanence with it, that the striking not only twice, but three times, that this is permanent, this is done, this is going to happen, and everyone is going to cry out. And, and yet he says, you know, I'm going to clap my hands, meaning I'm going to be in despair, but I'm going to satisfy my fury or my frustration, my anger. And then it finishes with, I, the Lord, have spoken. The notion that God is going to do what God is going to do for the purpose of his people. Church, I wonder, has has God brought about a discipline to you in the past? Have there been moments in which God has had to bring you back into the fold? I'm sure that there are. And if there aren't, maybe you've been fighting against a need for God to do that work in you. The good news that we have in Jesus Christ is that Christ has given himself to us, that we have hope in a God who does discipline, who loves us enough to discipline us because God uh, sends his own son into the world to save us, to redeem us from ourselves, to make us his people, to be the very one that we look to, to know that God has made a new covenant with us and we cling to that. So I pray, church, that this would be something that you would cling to as well that it would be good news for you and that you would know out of all of these things that God uh, is one in all his love, not to, not to let you just go about doing whatever the heck it is that you want to, but to bring about the, the consummation of his redemption in your life by loving you enough to not leave you the way you are, but to bring you preachers and teachers to help hold you in his new covenant. I pray that that would continue for you. Let us pray. O God, you are the source of life and the ground of our being. By the power of your spirit, bring healing to this wounded world and raise us to the new life of your son, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. 
Well, God's mercies go with you, church. I pray that you'd continue to share this podcast with uh, whoever you meet. Let them know about it so that they can join us in this journey through Ezekiel, but also uh, be able to cling to the good news that is Jesus Christ for us, that even in all the discipline that God might bring into our lives, we can cling to Christ as the one who has loved us, redeemed us, and made us his own. Go in peace, serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you.